Hello and welcome to the Muni Oral History Project, where we explore the stories and rich history of the Springfield Municipal Opera over the past 60 years. Stories from the people who have built, experienced, and performed what we'd like to refer to as Muni Magic. Sit back and relax and listen to these tales of Broadway under the stars. We are excited to be able to speak to Carly Shank about her experiences at the Springfield Muni. And Carly, it's so nice to have you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Absolutely. So we are going to ask you the first question, which is, what is your first Muni memory? What is your uh, earliest memories of going out to the site and experiencing theater? Sure. I uh, was Carly Armentrout then. I was a native of Riverton, and um, I was the long-haired blonde girl who sang all of the Annie songs whenever a microphone was put in front of her. Uh, and it was 1983 when, at eight years old, I auditioned for my first Muni show. Our family had actually never been to the Muni site and as was usual throughout my childhood, the show that involved kids was the first show of the season. And so that was The King and I. And so the girl with the long blonde hair had it all wrapped up in a bun and uh, sprayed black every night with some horrible orange makeup all over our faces, our, our hands. Uh, so that we could play the Siamese children in The King and I. So I had all of the usual fun, great Muni experiences of, of going out to the site for that first week of rehearsals. Um, and of course, it was like late May and early June and chilly and, and watching the set come together over those two weeks and having an orchestra rehearsal and starting to piece together what this was going to really be like. It was hard in those early days, being so young at age eight. I knew all of this had something to do with the movie musicals that I'd always enjoyed watching that had something to do with The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins and The Wizard of Oz, but I still didn't quite get it. I mean, I'd seen high school musicals on stage, um, but I had never seen a professional production and had never seen anything akin to the quality of a Springfield Muni Opera show. So it was really very magical to be eight years old and over the course of the next few years, still as a child, to start to put all of those pieces together that this was the onstage version of those, those movies that I had seen and that I had always loved growing up. Um, and it was also, um, you know, Sangamon Auditorium opened in 1981. And the first time I saw a Broadway tour at Sangamon Auditorium was a couple of years at least after that 1983 Muni show. So I had never seen a professional um, musical production, Broadway production either. And then 
being on stage, being in the audience, all kind of culminated for me when um, Les Miserables was on Broadway um, when I was in junior high. And that was the first show that I went to the Fox in St. Louis to see. And that was another element that helped me. I mean, so many of the early musicals I was in are such a part of the, of the ongoing canon. And even though Annie was new when I was in Annie um, at the Muni in 1985 and before that at the Springfield Theater Guild in 1983, it was old to me because I, Annie had always existed from the time I was a singer. So when, when Les Mis was new, it was like the first show that was like absolutely totally new. And that's when I realized that like people are still creating this and, and there's still new content coming out and you wait until you can get to perform those shows at the Muni as well. Absolutely. Now, I just know from personal experience that your parents are still so involved uh, in every show that you direct, every show that you're a part of. And so can you speak to, was it there? Um, who was it that, that led you to the Muni? Was it parents uh, and their uh, love of the arts? Or was it something that you always wanted to do and then you just decided to uh, go out and audition as a child? So... As I have mentioned, as a family, we had never been to the Muni. My parents had never been to the Muni before. My mom was a piano teacher. She taught piano out of our home and did that for years and years before she also um, started teaching elementary music at a school. Um, and from a very young age, I really enjoyed standing next to her at the piano while she played show tunes and I would sing. And uh, she had me perform on various stages before that first Muni show, singing mostly the Annie catalog of songs. If you're familiar with the selections book from Annie, it starts with tomorrow, then it goes to Hard Knock Life and maybe, and, and like has all the kids stuff at the beginning and you just keep turning the page and you just let your five-year-old, your six-year-old sing all of that. And, um, and, and that's who I was. And that's what I really enjoyed. And um, my mom was the music, but my dad was the theatrical side. My dad was the storyteller and, and didn't even know it. I mean, vocationally, my dad sold automotive parts um, off of a like snap-on tools truck, off of a Bose truck um, for his uh, career. But he was the one who could tell the joke and could tell the story and that kind of thing. So my parents are outstanding audience members um, for everyone at the Muni, not just for me. They love to be in the audience at the Muni. Um, my brother didn't have quite the same love of standing next to the piano, singing all the show tunes, um, but mom sure brought him into that and got him to do a lot of that. And my brother did a lot of Muni shows um, and did them all the way through high school the same way I did. Uh, my dad, the, the theatrical type, um, there was a time 
in, in 1983, after doing The King and I, was when the Springfield Theater Guild produced the first local production of Annie. And I was the youngest, but not the smallest orphan in that production. And my dad sat through all of the rehearsals. And after the first week or so of rehearsals, and here's this dad with a very animated face sitting there, um, and the director of that production of Annie was married to the woman who had been the director of The King and I. So the family kind of knew us from The King and I also. And so they, there was a vacancy in the ensemble and my dad was invited to fill that vacancy. And so my dad made his one and only onstage foray to play um, Fred McCracken with the ventriloquist dummy. And he played a dog catcher and he played a, a sailor in the NYC number and just did the full complement of things that you do when you're in the Annie Ensemble. And, uh, and then that was the only time he was on stage. Um, but he has, when, it, when I twist his arm, he does come out and help build sets and really enjoys carpentry. So he does get involved in that way. Yes, absolutely. So looking at some additional memories as you're kind of moving through your history with the Muni, um, starting with King and I and going into Annie and then uh, where does it go from there? What are some of the other highlights of shows that you were in prior to, I know, uh, pursuing musical theater, correct, in college? I did uh, go on to study theater. Um, I know that the importance of the social aspect was huge for me. Um, as I became an adolescent and I knew I wasn't an athletic type, um, any place that I could find my people in the 80s was great. I'm, I'm so glad that kids today have social media and other ways to connect with kids that are like-minded. I really felt like I was an island out there in Riverton um, growing up. And as each show ended, I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to see these people again. I mean, Springfield felt like a long distance phone call to me um, at that point in my life. Uh, so the social aspect was always really important, but it became clear to me in middle school that I also just really loved what we were doing. And I really loved the process of telling a story on stage. And um, there were several productions that helped really solidify that for me. And one that was really important to me was in 1989, I had just finished the eighth grade and so it was my first year to audition as an adult at the Muni. And I played Kava, the third sister in Fiddler on the Roof. And it was so different to be an adult in a show. In a show that had actual choral music, I mean, um, for people who've had that experience, yeah, of course you like sit down and you learn the four part harmonies and that's a big important part of, of being in a show. 
but that was brand new because I had been an Annie orphan and I had been an Indian and Peter Pan and I hadn't really had that full adult experience. Um, that was a particularly strong cast and a particularly cohesive cast, as I think often happens with a show like Fiddler on the Roof, a show that's about community. So it's just kind of inherent in, um, in the story that you're telling and it's gonna come out in the rehearsal process. Um, and it was so fun to play an adult. It was so wonderful to have a character that had life changes happening in the show. Um, and, and that is something that just made that production really outstanding. That was directed by Rich McCoy and uh, Barry Weiss played uh, Tevia. And um, my other two uh, sisters were um, Jennifer Howell, Prince Allen. Uh, Jennifer Allen played Seidel and Mary Crowley, now Mary Harmon, um, played Huddle. Um, and then in 1992, when I had finished my junior year of high school, um, I remember that winter, Muni was going to produce a new show, and it was a fun tap dancing kind of musical. And I got a cassette tape. So I, because there was no YouTube. Hey, you kids, there was no YouTube. You had to go out and buy the cast album to even know what these shows were. So I went out and bought the cast album. And I remember running, and it was on cassette. I remember running from my bedroom to the family room in our house where my parents were watching TV after I listened to some of this show. And I ran in and I said, I, I can do this. I can, I can sing this part. This is like exactly my kind of show. And uh, my mom, who's always super realistic, didn't want me to get my hopes high or anything. Um, but that, that was my show. And um, Gus Gordon and I played the roles of Bill and Sally in Me and My Girl. And Gus had only been in town for a year. He had played Rapunzel's Prince the summer before, but it was his first leading role and um, at the Muni, certainly not his first leading role. And, uh, and I was a smitten 17 year old because I was gonna be this lead with the weatherman. <laughs> That's what. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Um, and you you spoke to the social aspect and meeting friends. Can you uh, elaborate on some of those friendships and maybe even mentorships, the people that you've looked up to from your time at the Muni uh, that you may want to mention? Oh, sure. We could go on and on. Um, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not short-winded ever. Um, I think there are, there are friendships. I'm, I'm so glad you asked about the, the friendships and, and then you also mentioned the mentorships because, um, yeah, friendships are the people you, you connect with. And in those moments, it may not have anything at all to do with the, art and the, the story that we're creating on stage. Um, but 
one of my first most dearest friends um, was my friend, is my friend, uh, Ginger Pennington, whose mom is Pat Pennington, who you probably know. Um, Ginger and I were Annie orphans together in 1983. And then we did a number of other shows in town. And um, she went to Rochester to school and I went to Riverton and we both graduated at tops of our class. And we both we spent a lot of time together in high school. We knew each other's friends. So that's how Riverton and Rochester people knew each other was because of Carly and Ginger. Um, one of the years we had our strongest friendship was when her mom was playing Mame and my brother was playing young Patrick in Mame. And so Ginger and I were probably about 13 that summer. And we had this arrangement where we would both get taken to rehearsal and like my dad would take Ginger with us and we'd go back three hours later and pick my brother up from rehearsal. And so I just had this summer of like hanging out with Ginger all summer, which was awesome. Um, and um, Ginger went on to study social psychology and has a doctorate and, and didn't make theater her life pursuit. Um, but has always been a really close friend and someone that I certainly wouldn't have known without the Springfield Muni Opera. Um, Bridget Ratz, Bridget O'Brien was an assistant stage manager. Um, back in the days when our age difference seemed more substantial, I was still a kid and she was like just out of high school um, assistant stage managing shows. Um, and then that gap just gets smaller all the time, right? So, so now Ginger or now uh, Bridget and I we're exactly the same age. There's no difference in our age. Bridget has been a lifelong friend, certainly. Um, there's been so many great people to learn from over the years and work with, who were directors and choreographers and vocal directors. So. Marge Birchtold uh, choreographed that production of Me and My Girl, and it was especially fun to work with Marge. There was lots of like duet dancing in that show, so Gus and I had a lot of sessions just with Marge, um, and I really appreciated that. And I have choreographed uh, some productions. Um, now I typically take the director's role. Sometimes I'm insistent on doing some of my own choreography, but Mostly I leave that to Anna Bussing. She can do the whole choreograph and direct uh, kind of thing all at once. I'd rather just handle one element of that. Um, also in that production of Me and My Girl, I'm pretty sure that's the first time that Dave Barnes was um, the accompanist for a production that I was involved in. Probably not the first time he was an accompanist, but um, with the particular structure of that rehearsal period, I had a lot of downtime. You know, I, I, as the leading lady, I wasn't in a lot of the big group numbers. And so during that time, I just like sat on the floor or in a chair next to Dave at the piano and spent just tons of time hanging out with uh, Dave Barnes. And then I've just been so glad that I've had Dave to be accompanist on a number of the shows that I have directed in town in recent years. So those couple come to mind for sure. 
always loved working with Doug Hahn and Gary Scholl and have had the fortune of working on a number of productions with them over the years. I think the first one was when, yeah, I'm pretty sure, um, the first time I ever worked with them, I was in high school and I was driving my brother to rehearsals for his Muni show. My Muni show for the year was already over, but my brother was 15. And so I was dropping him off, picking him up and coming in and waiting for him. And about a week before we moved to the, before that show moved to the site, Doug came over to me and sort of whispered to me, hmm, I have an idea, would you be up for something? And so his idea was that in this production of Pirates of Penzance, that maybe there would be a mermaid on the head of the boat that would come to life. And so maybe I could come play that mermaid in the show. And I was driving my brother and there were a lot of other high school guys playing pirates that I was really enjoying hanging out with. And it was the summer after my senior year and sure, I'll be a mermaid on your boat. So I had to go in super early and go through like a mammoth makeup session with uh, Dave Shaw. So I got to spend like an hour with Dave Shaw every night, him making me into a mermaid and um, kind of like integrating me into the set. And I actually had to be in position for a long time before I actually got to break. So I was in my mermaid position for some ridiculous, you know, like 18 minutes or something like that frozen on stage when I finally got to break. Um, but that was just the beginning of working with Doug and Gary and I've worked with them on a number of shows since that time. So many incredible names that you mentioned and actually a lot of people that we've been uh, fortunate enough to speak to for this project, which is wonderful. Uh, but you make the transition at some point from being someone that is on stage. And of course you still have been on stage recently, but now going more into a uh, staff role. And can you talk to me about those first experiences on staff and what you did? Um, and actually the, the first show I was fortunate enough to see at the Muni was a show that you directed. It was Oliver in 2009. Oh. So, uh, so, you know, if you could sort of walk through that process of becoming a staff member out at the Muni as opposed to an actor uh, and how that worked out. I studied theater uh, at Northwestern University for my undergraduate. And theater was the logical choice for me of all of the art forms. Um, when, and, and I am engaged by all of the art forms and early on in high school had to kind of decide, now was I going down a music path? No, I'm going down a theater path because Again, that gets back to the idea of my dad and telling stories and um, theater is the one art form that for me speaks most to the condition of being human and how we tell those stories and such. And I, at, and at Northwestern, the curriculum was a very broad liberal arts kind of curriculum. 
it was not a BFA program, like come in in the morning and do calisthenics and learn how to be an actor and then uh, take a sociology class or a math class if you need to. No, it was, it was very holistic, like learning about the entire process of theater, which as a younger than college person, I really hadn't had a whole lot of exposure to. I loved, loved, loved being on stage, but I hadn't really thought about like, you know, why do you produce a particular show at a particular moment in time? What story do you want to tell right now if you produce The Sound of Music right now? And how is that different from producing The Sound of Music in 1959? Um, and, and how does the lighting affect what story you're telling in The Sound of Music or Fiddler on the Roof or any of these uh, classic musicals? So at college, I really got a healthy exposure to that. And I determined pretty quickly that while I still loved being on stage, I really enjoyed working with children and I really enjoyed directing. And I had the opportunity my senior year of college to direct a large musical. I directed a production of Kiss Me Kate in a 900 seat auditorium. So it was very close to the size of being a Muni show in some ways um, with a huge budget. Um, the production is still billed um, as the largest student-produced musical in the nation, this slot that exists every year called The Dolphin Show. And um, I directed that Dolphin Show in 1997. And then I went away to work for a theater company in St. Louis. I moved to Austin, Texas for a while. I moved back to Springfield when I took my job at... Uh, UIS, what is now the UIS Performing Arts Center, and that was in late 2000 that I moved back to town, and I dabbled with getting on stage again, um, but I, I didn't direct. <laughs> um, I, I was very, I was very busy at work, um, and work at the Performing Arts Center has always consumed a lot of my time, and I didn't, I didn't know if it really made sense, and then. Uh, Marge Birchtold gave me a call and said, um, we're trying to fill this slot for a Muni show and uh, I think you'd be a good director for Greece. And uh, I can still remember having that phone call and hanging up and turning to my ex-husband and being like, oh my gosh, can I direct a Muni show? I don't know if I can direct a Muni show. That's a lot of work. But maybe I knew just enough to know that it was a lot of work and to really sit down and think about what, you know, amount of planning that was going to take. And uh, I do believe that when you direct in community theater, it's all about assembling the right people that you need. And that is dependent upon what kind of organization you're directing for what kind of people you're going to be casting, what your deficiencies are, and what other kinds of staff members you might need to help make up that deficiency. And I have always been really proud of the team that we assembled for the 2007 production of Greece, which was just really carefully thought out. Um, Mac Warren was assistant director. Mac had never um, been on the staff of a Muni show. And Mac and I didn't, we just knew each other by reputation. 
but in me thinking through, you know, like what the show needed and, and who might be a good person to provide that, I came up with Mac. Um, Rhonda Brinkman had never choreographed a Muni show before, though she was certainly running her uh, dance studio. Christy Lazaridis had never vocal directed a show before. <laughs> um, and now these people are just part of the part of the canon of Muni, I'm, I'm so pleased to report. Um, I do love telling the story that in the week after I was asked to direct, I went to go see a show that Todd Schumacher's daughter was in. And I saw Todd right before the show started. He had not, he had just been building shows. He hadn't done set design. I don't even think he'd done Master Carpentry. But I saw him before the show that his daughter Emma Jo was in. And I said, hey, I've been thinking about talking to you because I've been asked to direct Greece at the Muni. And I really think you and I could do this together. And I think we could build something really spectacular. And I told him some of my ideas in general about what the set would need to be from what I knew of the show. And I watched the first act of Emma Jo's show. And at intermission, I went to find him because I had a new idea. And I said, Todd, I have this idea. I have this idea that we make the stage look like a jukebox. Okay, this was a new idea for me. I said, I have this idea that we make the stage look like a jukebox. And he said, I'm way ahead of you. I'm already trying to figure out how to get bubbles to go from one side of the stage to the other like they would in a jukebox. So that solidified that partnership. And um, I really enjoyed working with Todd. He did the beautiful sets along with Mary Young painting them. Uh, for the 2009 production of Oliver that we did entirely like a Tim Burton film. And um, he also built uh, and designed Sweeney Todd, but this time with Dathan Powell from the UIS Department of Theater. And um, Todd and I have just really worked on some really massive, really beautiful sets at the Muni. <laughs> and I enjoy every minute of working with him. <laughs> That uh, there are certain shows that live in the mythology of Muni and that Greece production is. I, I think every summer, the number of people that were at your shows always increases. So sometimes you hear, <laughs> oh, it was 2,700. Oh, it was well over 3,000. And the fire marshal was going to uh, shut us down. So you were the director of that performance. Maybe, um, maybe we could talk a bit about what if what of that is fact and what might be a bit fiction? Well, isn't that the beauty though? Like <laughs> it is. Maybe we don't want to know. That's true. <laughs> that show was blessed with really good weather, um, and so the, one of the things I remember about the attendance at that show is it was pretty consistent across the whole eight nights because we didn't have like a dud night with terrible weather. So I. You know, I am pretty sure no single night broke 2000 for that show, but all of them were really close to 2000. And that's really what you want, right? right. You want good weather and, and you want to have a similar kind of size audience as you get accustomed to the responses of the show. It also came at a great time. That was when um, High School Musical was all the rage on the Disney Channel. It was not um, yet 
producible as a musical. So the Muni couldn't do High School Musical yet. That took a couple more years. Um, but I, in a weird way, Grease, I always kind of thought was a response to the popularity of High School Musical while being completely different from High School Musical. Um, and it was also just a few months after that reality show where they cast the Broadway production, Danny and Sandy, uh, that show called You're the One That I Want, um, that's probably long forgotten. But it was important at the time because we got to call people at casting night and tell them, you're the one that we want, which was like exactly how they told them on the reality show. So there were just a lot of synergistic forces to make that production of Grease really memorable. I'm glad to know that it lives in lore. <laughs> yes, yes. I, uh, it seems like one of those that just comes back up and back up and, and how wonderful that production was. And uh, you've mentioned some of the other ones that you've done most recently, but uh, it, it's kind of a, a fun story to think about you next to your mom's piano singing through the book of Annie, and then now you being able to direct Annie uh, most recently. That's your most recent directed show out at the Muni. And so speak to us about that production and how bringing that a bit more full circle for you. I think, you know, every Muni show deserves a great director um, and deserves a director who's really committed to that particular show. Um, and I know Muni tries really hard to produce the shows that it knows its audiences want to see also. And so it's really great. And I hope Annie stands as an example of this. It's really great when you've got a great show that audiences want to see and you've got a great director and team that can make that show happen. So you don't just get the title that the audiences want to see, but you get a production that is really meaningful. So I have, I have a strange list of shows that I really enjoy. Um, it, you can't pin me for any one thing, although um, Doug Hahn does like pinning me for liking really dark musicals. And I do like some really dark musicals, but you know what? I also really love Annie. And, um, and there are others too that are fun, fluffy musicals. But one of the reasons I loved Annie so much as a child is how much I learned about U.S. history when I was only eight years old and learning about Annie. And so I wanted to make sure that our production of Annie spoke really succinctly to the time period. And so that meant that as director, I read a book about FDR in the months leading up to the show, that I looked at what all of our cabinet members would have really looked like and what their real ages would have been in real life. Um, we created an overture for the show that tried to bring the audience along with where we were in US history, kind of looking at Annie's 11 years of life leading up to the moment that the show starts in the orphanage. Um, and so that historical part of it was really important to me. But also important to me um, is what Annie has to say about family. And I, you know, for me in 2018, directing a production of Annie, when I myself am a single mom to a single child and 
I never, that's not the family situation that I ever imagined myself being in. And it's also not the family situation that as an eight-year-old, I ever realized Annie was about. But that's, that's what Annie is about. It's about a, a bachelor and an orphan and a dog making a family by the end of the show. And um, so that really started to speak to me about this show that felt like fluffy and, and, and traditional to me is maybe not exactly traditional. Um, certainly not in the sense of, you know, 1933 when it happens or in the sense even of 1977, I think it was when it was on Broadway. Um, so I tried to infuse those things in little ways into the uh, production of Annie that we did in 2018. And I do have to say that a lot of times when I get done directing a show, um, I've, I've directed a number of shows that I've also been in as a cast member. Um, so for example, when I directed Oliver in 2009, I had been in Oliver twice already. So that was my third production of Oliver. And I felt like I, I finished Oliver for me in 2009. I was, I was done with Oliver, you know, had made my mark. I'd been in Greece twice when I directed Greece in 2007. I must be done with Greece. I'm done with Greece. I, I can't play Rizzo. That'd be a crazy production of Greece. Um, and so I must be done with Greece. But I, I feel like I'm not done with Annie. Like, I feel like Annie's going to come back for me. Annie is just part of the fabric of who I am. So, and there are things I haven't done yet for Annie. So um, Annie might be back for me. One of the most impressive things I remember, because I was an Annie, of that is, is that you could go on stage and you like, especially Miss Hannigan, like you could like do that part. Like if Tiffany wasn't at rehearsal, you were on stage off book doing the part of Miss Hannigan. And she wasn't the only one. I mean, there were other characters you could just pop in and do. Did, do you do that with like all your shows? I, I pretty much can do that with all of my shows. Okay. But of one show I've directed that we haven't mentioned is uh, Sweeney Todd. And let me tell you, there's no way I could have done that ever with Sweeney Todd. I probably couldn't have sung a note of Sweeney Todd. Um, Sweeney was a big risk for me. And um and one of those dark, dark musicals that I just really love and is a story that I really wanted to tell. Um, but the music is so challenging. And I knew it was challenging. As, as the process went on, I realized how much I had underestimated how challenging the music was going to be. And yeah, I mean, I could have I could have maybe rhythmically said some people's lines, but there's no way I would have sung any of the notes that Mr. Sondheim wrote. <laughs> um, but I, I will say, I mean, it's not deliberate, but most times when I'm directing something, it's kind of impossible for me with as much time as I spend with a script to not be able to step into any role. So, but thank you. I'm always glad when people notice that, that I can kind of feel I mean, it. that was just so impressed to all of us. Like you were just like, you could like run on stage and you were just all of a sudden doing this part. 
I find it interesting too, because uh, in speaking to other orphans that uh, have played in that role in the shows, it seems like every few years that there's a new crop of these young women that go on then to be leading ladies at the Muni and to be able to uh, really continue that tradition that we have. And Natalie Randall being one of them that I, I had the pleasure of speaking to and Annie was her first role. And so now she is pursuing theater professionally uh, in New York. And, and so it, it's just a, a very fun show. It's a, it's a show that means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, as we start to close things up, wanted to ask if you had any other memories that you'd like to share about particular shows. Uh, and if not, then I do have some questions about Muni in particular too. I just want to say that a lot of the shows, we, we've talked a lot about shows that I've been involved in or um, on stage or, or directed. And a lot of my memories of the Muni are also of being in the audience. And in the work that I do, helping to bring people to shows at the UIS Performing Arts Center, as well as my work at the Muni and other places in town, um, I, I think being an audience is just like the best role that any of us can have in the theater. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna kind of like see if I can remember some stream of consciousness, like great experiences of being in the audience. I came back every night to the fabled Singing in the Rain in 1989 until we could actually see it. I know at least the first two nights were rained out because that's what happens when you do a show called Singing in the Rain at an outdoor theater. Um, and every time you're waiting for a show to open and you, and you show up, whether you have family in it or close friends, but opening night rainouts and rain delays are super special because you are still going to hang out there until the show happens because you're just in it for the long haul as an audience member. And so you end up having like an extra special kinship with everybody else in the audience that night. Um, so I, I remember that one. I remember another one that I was in the opening night of Annie, the first time Muni produced Annie in 1985, was long rain delayed, but I'm pretty sure we did get a show in that night. Um, some of the ones I remember being in the audience for, some other ones um, that were just so great. The first time the Muni produced 42nd Street and um, Lee Steiner directed it. And Russ Dunlap, who played so many great roles, played Julian Marsh. Um, I want to say that was like in the late 80s. And I was, I think I was just like the perfect age to just be mesmerized by the magic of Broadway um, and Broadway under the stars at the Muni stage. And that was super memorable. Um, there was a production of Man of La Mancha um, where Nancy Diefenbach played uh, Dulcinea um, Aldanza and um, that was, I was kind of like too young to like fully appreciate Man of La Mancha, but wow, that was, that was another super spectacular um, production. 
back in the days. I did miss quite a few productions in um, my college years and for a few years beyond college, but from the very first time I started going to the Muni, I saved programs. And in the work that I do, many years ago, I just took the programs to my office. So if you ever want to see old Muni programs that are 1983 and more recent, just visit me at my office and I've got basically every Muni program and every show that I have been in the audience for. Uh, for many, many years in my office. In the last 20, I kind of, I've kind of lost track. I haven't really kept everything, but, but for like the first 20, they are all there. <laughs> wow. That's wonderful. Talk to me about, as we start to wrap up, uh, what is it in your opinion, what makes Muni special? What is it that brings people to Muni and, and keeps uh, them at Muni, whether that be from the performance side of thing, you mentioned the importance of the audience. Uh, maybe it's the patrons in the audience that it brings out. Uh, we actually were discussing before we started recording even the amount of talent that comes to Springfield Theater and how we really teach that from a young age here. But what is it about Muni in particular as a place, as a location that brings people to it and keeps people invested? I think there is such a fantastic experience of being in the audience at a Muni show. Um, you are gathered together with this group of people to fight the elements or to withstand the elements and get through the show. Um, and you don't arrive at, at the Muni you know, you got to park your car and get yourself to your seat and everything. So nobody arrives at the Muni that I know of, you know, 10 minutes before the show starts or anything. You arrive full on an hour to an hour and a half before the show starts. And that's all part of your experience too. And um, you see people you know, um, and they might be people that you go to church with, and it might be moms of people that you went to elementary school with, and it might be the people you were in the last show with, but being in the audience at the Muni is super special. Um, the, the quality of the productions at the Muni is really outstanding. And if you've not experienced community theater in a community the size of our, of of ours before, a, a similar sized community, um, I think it's tough to really be able to grasp just how special it is. Um, I've had the good fortune of having had some friends from out of town come in to see shows, both shows that I was in, but also they came to town some summer weekend and I took them to a Muni show. And in many cases, these were people who had heard me talk about doing Muni shows for years. And um, I remember distinctly having a college friend of mine come to see The Wizard of Oz in 2011, in which I played a tree. <laughs> but uh, it was a super, super cast of The Wizard of Oz, as most Muni casts are. And 
when the show was over, my friend Michael, who has a theater degree um, and toured as model in Fiddler on the Roof for two or three years, um, a few years back, he said, oh my gosh, I get it. You used to talk about this place and I still couldn't grasp, you know, community theater was something, you know, smaller than high school theater where I came from. And it just, you know, there, there wasn't quality, but this was superb. This was outstanding. And, um, you know, and I didn't have to say, see, I told you so, because yeah, he had believed me throughout, but it, it just what really hit home for him to, to see what that really looked like. And that was a really great production that really pulled good elements together. The visuals and that were great and the talent was good and, or was great. And it, it was a good production. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Are there any final thoughts that you have uh, as we close out? No, thank you for doing this. I look forward to hearing other people's memories. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Muni Oral History Project. This is an ongoing effort to capture the memories and stories of the Springfield Municipal Opera. If you have pictures, videos, or stories you'd like to contribute to this effort, please email history at themuni.org. Your hosts have been Jacob Potty and Craig McFarland, Production assistance by Vanessa Ferguson and Jeremy Geckner. Special thank you to the Muni Board of Managers and the Muni Board of Trustees for their support in this effort. And thank you to all the Muni family who continue to help us create magic every summer.